Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, this episode is brought to you by my very own NLP practitioner course. I've been teaching neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, for nearly 15 years. It is the most powerful tool for communication on the planet, and it can be yours today. For a very limited time, I'm giving away my entire NLP course workbook for free. Go to nlpwithmatt.com. All the patterns, all the tools, and the techniques of NLP in the complete course workbook, the same one that we use to teach our live certification classes, yours free. NLPwithmatt.com. Get it today. Let's get back to the show. Hey, welcome to a very special episode of The Driven Entrepreneur. It's Matt Browning, And, you know, I want to record this quick intro for you to introduce my guest this week. I'm really excited about this. I've been waiting for, I mean, gosh, probably a year, maybe a year and a half uh, ever since I met actor Dean Cain, probably most famous for playing Superman in the television series Lois and Clark as I'm growing up. So if you are a 90s kid or an 80s kid and you were, you know, I was a teenager in the 90s, I love watching Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman. And, uh, you know, watching that show was always just real special to me. And of course, Superman was played by Dean Cain. Well, about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, I had the chance to meet Dean and we connected. He actually interviewed me on a television show. We had a great time talking about superhero leadership traits, which is actually something I was teaching at the time on a lot of different shows. And I thought that was kind of a fun role reversal. And then I invited Dean to come on the podcast. Well, schedules, he films about five movies a year still at this point. So schedules were pretty tough. And we finally, finally got a chance to catch up with Mr. Dean Kane. Now, if you haven't seen the adventures, uh, Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman, there's a ton of other things. You may have seen him in one of his dozens and dozens of films he's been part of. Um, he's been a guest uh, a, a guest appearance on numerous different television shows. He was in the film God's Not Dead. Goes on and on where you've seen Dean. Now, I, I might ask him a little bit about acting with Terry Hatcher and, you know, and, and what that was like. Because I was, again, as a kid, I thought, wow, that would be pr pretty cool to be able to do that. But we got into a lot of the personal backstory, a lot about his family, uh, growing up with an, an, an entertaining family, his, his father, uh, who's a, a producer and director, Christopher Kane. And you might know Christopher Kane from writing, producing, directing Young Guns, uh, The Next Karate Kid with Hilary Swank, and many other films. So, you know, we talk about what it's like to grow up kind of in that Hollywood bubble, not even realizing that it's different and new, and you get his reaction to that. Uh, we also talk about his knee injury that ended his potential NFL career after getting signed with the Buffalo Bills early on in life. And just, again, a lot more life. We talk about his take on life. If you follow his Twitter account, uh, Dean Kane's Twitter account, you'll see there's uh, always some fun controversy and they're always, uh, you know, because he's never short to be able to share his opinions on the world, which I think that's something we all need to do is share our opinions. So we talk about, again, family life. We talk about filming life. We talk about where he's been and what he's been doing ever since. So 
Whether you're a fan or whether this is your first introduction, I'm excited to share with you my interview with none other than Mr. Dean Kane. How are you, Dean? Very well, thank you. Good. Hey, thanks for making the time today. I appreciate you squeezing it in between everything else happening. Um, so thanks for coming on the show. You're on The Driven Entrepreneur, and I'm going to just jump right in with you. You, I just found out you were born in Michigan, and I know you only spent a couple years there, but I'm in Michigan right now in Grand Rapids. No memories from the Midwest, I'm taking it? <laughs> um, I was three years old when we left Michigan, but I do have my first memory is from Michigan. Uh, we lived in Capehart housing, which was military housing because my grandfather was a Navy guy. And uh, I was born at Selfridge Air Force Base. And at three years old, I remember my older brother, two years older than me, and this girl, Kimberly, across the way, her house, it seemed like, I don't know, about 100 meters away. And those guys were running through the snow and I was trying to chase them and I couldn't catch them. It was really frustrating, but I never gave up. Um, and I, I didn't get there. So my, my, my brother ran off with the pretty girl and I was trudging through the snow. That's my Michigan memory. However, <laughs> I went back to that house, um, I don't know, 10 years ago and found it actually, they had to actually raise it to the ground. So there was a pile of bricks sitting on a foundation and I might've broken in there and stolen a brick or a piece of a brick. I might have, it just might've happened. And you really can't tell for sure. So that's the one snow memory. Cause I know you, I've seen your brother and your mom and you guys moved over to Malibu. You land in California. Um, do you have any early memories of like to have a mom with a dream and a passion and saying, I want to chase my acting career. What was that like growing up as a kid? Do you remember your mom? Was she always out doing auditions and doing that? Was she home with you guys a lot? And what was that? I guess, what was that feeling and, and experience like having a mom going after a dream like that? Well, at that time I had no concept. Sure. I didn't know at all. Um, she was just mom. And I didn't know what we were doing other than we were, me and my brother, we were just hanging out, running around, being monkeys, really. We were difficult probably to deal with, the two of us. Um, a lot of the trouble probably caused by me, uh, the younger brother poking the bear all the time. Um, but I wasn't aware that she was chasing her dream at that time. I didn't know what she was doing. I didn't know, I didn't understand the concept of having to get, have a job or go to work. And when I was four years old, she met my, my dad. Um, who adopted me. So they were together. And then even when he was working as a director and, and a filmmaker and she was working, they were kind of worked together. So I kind of saw them both as one unit and them doing their job. And I didn't think about it other than that was their job. I didn't even understand that they were filmmakers and yeah, I was around it all the time. So some of your, some of the other kids in daycare or school or preschool have engineers and teachers and lawyers and uh, ditch diggers and your parents are writing, directing, producing and whatnot. Cause obviously your dad adopted you early on. And I'm so glad to hear that. Obviously, you know, cause obviously is your dad, Christopher Kane. Um, how old are you when you get to the point where you start to kind of realize, Hey, maybe mom and dad are different than other kids. Maybe, you know, we're in this kind of different world or did it ever feel like that to you? First time I figured it out is when I went to college. I mean, again, really, it's not that I'm not a smart kid. I'm, I'm, I'm relatively bright, but I grew up in an area where, you know, my parents' best friends were the Pens. So Leo and, and Eileen Penn, whose kids are Sean Penn and Chris Penn and, and Michael Penn. And, and so I didn't even think twice about it. And when, um, you know, and I grew up with Rob Lowe and Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez. And I grew I remember up you, you played baseball as a kid, I think, in, sure. my, in my wiki research uh, with Charlie Sheen. It was always accurate. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, but everybody was involved in film and everybody's parents were involved in film. And I just thought it was the same. If, if someone's father was uh, involved in construction, I would, well, I would have found that more novel 
than maybe parents being involved in film. But I hadn't, to me, it, it just didn't make sense um, as a job, as a kid. I didn't kind of get the, the, the idea that, I mean, I knew they had to work and do things and they did parent things, but I never thought about like, even my dad's movies, I didn't think much about them as, as I just thought that was what everybody did. And that's because I was young and naive. And then I go to college, I go to college in New Jersey and everyone's talking about, you know, what California is like and Hollywood and all the things. And I was like, wow, I didn't even, I didn't everybody do that. And they're talking about your life and your family's life as they're like, can you believe these people? And you're like, that's everyone I know. Everyone I know. And I, what, is that weird that everybody makes movies? And they're like, dude, I saw you in a movie. You're my football teammate now. And I was like, well, yeah. And I took, I took a couple of my teammates over to watch my mom as an actress in uh, the Flamingo Kid. And it's a very sexy thing she does in the thing with Matt, Matt Dillon. And she straddles a, a fence thing and, Sticks oh, the in his pants and a thing. And all my, I looked down the road, but all my buddies and there's like, that's your mom, dude. Oh my like, gosh. <laughs> Dean's mom. I feel like it's like American pile all over again. You're like Stifler's mom. <laughs> Stifler's mom. Yes. <laughs> yes. But not to that extent. Um, no, no. <laughs> these were college kids. Good college kids. So uh, really, so yeah, so it didn't seem, it didn't seem weird to me that everybody was involved in that. And it took me till getting out of this bubble of Malibu, California to really understand that there was, there were other jobs and other things. Now I always worked and done things, but I just didn't, I figured that I didn't think there was anything special about being in film. Sure. So, so up until a point then, did you have any desire? Did you figure by default? Oh yeah. Like I'll do whatever dad does. Like, you know, some grow up and their dad's a cop and you're, I'll probably be a cop. Or were you just again, oblivious and thinking you're going to do something else. I know you got really deep into football um, and you had quite a football career actually. So could you talk about that just a little bit? Like, did you think, you know what? Great for mom and dad. I'm going to get into football. That's going to be my path. Or was it just something you were doing because you were passionate about it? What was that period of like? Well, for me, the two things that I always did very well, and the things you like to do well as a kid is, is go to school. I was, I was very easy for me to be in school and do well in class and play sports. And football became the number one sport for me all the way through college. I mean, I, I, I lettered in track and in volleyball too. I captained the volleyball team at Princeton. So I always had practice. And in high school, I got, you know, I played every sport under the sun and I just did everything. I loved that. So that's all I really concentrated on. When I was about a sophomore in college, I was starting to realize, you know, because my friends would go off and do internships on Wall Street. So I went to Princeton and these kids are right next to New York City. And, and, they, and when, when I got to Princeton, things were different because there were just a different group of people that I was around. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. There's a whole huge world out here and things that I hadn't experienced. And these kids all come from it. And so I was just sort of just grabbing knowledge from as many people as I could and being exposed to so much. It was the best decision I could have made. Um, but, but then I started watching them go on their uh, internships in the summertime. And, uh, you know, I worked for the, the student um, uh, moving agency. So, and, you know, in June, we're packing up people's things in these hot container things and just trying to, you know, put them together like, uh, like we're playing Tetris or something. And, these, and I, I did that as a job. And I did things because my teammates were doing it. My friends were doing it. Um, but then I went and hung out with them when they went to New York City and they worked as investment bankers. And it's like, this just sucks. And then I went, you know, and then I went, went over to my dad's set and I was like, they're making movies. I'm like, this is great. This is way better. So by the time I was a sophomore, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to work in film when my football career is over. And my dad had sort of been cultivating me as a screenwriter the whole time and saying, you know, be a screenwriter Do you, because, you know, I don't want you to be an actor. His, his advice to me when I said I want to be an actor. No, why would you ever um, want to be an actor? Come on. It was three words. He said, don't do it. 
And like a good child, I never listened to my dad. No, I listened to my dad all the time, but, uh, but I, you know, if you want to do something bad enough, no one's going to stop you from doing it. And at that time, acting wasn't my thing. Screenwriting, he started to cultivate my screenwriting. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to play pro football uh, during the day and I'll be a screenwriter at night. I'll be able to work both sides of my brain, so to speak, and, and, and my body and my brain do the thing. And then I got hurt really early when I played for Buffalo. And suddenly it was like, wow, you might not be able to play football. So think about it. And I had thought about acting because I had done some acting. And it was fun and it was exciting and it was just brand new and different, but it wasn't a natural thing for me at the time. It's become much more natural because I spent 30 years doing it. But um, at the time it was like, it was odd to pretend and do things and, and watch my friends become big, you know, watch Charlie Sheen be the sexiest man in the world or sexiest man like Rob Lowe. And my dad, you know, directed them all in young guns and things like this. And I'm watching my friends, the kids that I grew up with suddenly get all this, this media attention and I was able to learn what not to do by watching them make some really bad mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> we, we could have a whole, uh, whole show, a whole on, show on your yeah. buddies. <laughs> yeah. um, did your dad ever elaborate on the don't do it as to why was it just, it's hard, it's hard or you go down a road of bad decisions, like maybe some of your friends. No, his concern was my anonymity and my okay. loss of, uh, of, of being, you know, anonymous. Um, he, the amount of focus that is put upon you as an individual in your private life and everything, you cease to have that. Uh, if you, if you choose this, this line of work and that's true. Uh, and I see that because I want my son to have that anonymity, but I also love my son. So I like to, you know, post pictures of him and do things. So it's hard. There's a, there's a balance there and we all do. It's a weird line, right? Cause it's not it's a normal a life line. by any stretch. If you're successful, obviously, like, well, yeah, and if you achieve any level of success, then you have a, a whole bunch of people who hate you. Yes. And if you do anything that they don't like or say anything that they don't like, boy, they hate you. And then especially in today's outrage culture and the things that are going on with people, the cancel culture and these ridiculous things that happen, it's crazy. Um, uh, so you have to have a thick skin. And my dad didn't want me out there to be critiqued by the world, um, but uh, I didn't listen to him. <laughs> well, you know, let's actually, this will be fun. Let's take a, a, a super quick segue. Um, cause you're, if you want a good time, if you want to feel alive and, and full of passion, just follow real Dean Kane on Twitter. And it is an adventure <laughs> roller coaster. I really, I, I love following you, man. I love your tweets. Um, <laughs> and, and exactly what you're talking about. Can you, we got a minute for the world, set the record straight. If you were to describe you, um, because I could describe you the way I see you and the world and different people can describe you the way they see you. And everyone has their own unique subjective perception, but you are the only one who knows you. How would you describe you, your personality, your character, your, and I'm, I'm not talking about, I don't want to get political or ind individual beliefs, but it's really like, cause I think we were, we're in this either or us or them culture, like you said, and it's very much, if you don't agree with my opinion, then you're the devil. And it's like, that's not at all how we should be. I'm a firm believer that everyone should have an opinion, especially the ones that I don't agree with. A hundred percent. With that said, how would you describe uh, a guy named Dean? Uh, loyal, um, tolerant, accepting, uh, the ultimate optimist, um, I don't want to borrow the Marines, but great, great friend to have, terrible enemy. 
Um, I'm going to be on your good side. <laughs> yeah, if you're not, I'd just rather do away with you. If you, I'm going to just just move you out out of my life if you were in the bad side. But um, pragmatic, honest. Um, those are the things. You know, I'm family first. You know, I'm family. You know, God, family, country kind of a guy, and that's the way I that's the way I live my life. And and that's I mean, it's pretty simple. Um, I, love, I, don't well, think I appreciate from the horse's mouth hearing that too, you know, cause I, I relate to everything you just said, everything you just said. And, and uh, I think that's why I've gotten along with you so well over uh, the time we've known each other. Um, my every listener would kill me if I didn't ask the big question, how did you first land the role? 1993, <laughs> probably the highlight of the nineties. Um, at the, at the peak, we're talking unbelievable ratings, 15 million viewers an episode. You're on Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman with Terry Hatcher. One of my favorite shows growing up as a kid. Yeah. At that time, I'm 13 years old. So I'm in the prime of my almost teenage life, ready to just watch Superman and Lois, uh, Lois Lane. Get it um, on a little bit, you know, a little bit of passion. You're a young teenager. Oh, this is the best. So, so my question is, you know, did you have any idea the popularity was going to hit? Did you go after that in a big way? Did you kind of fall into it? What, how did you find that role or did it find you? And then second question is, did you have any idea what was going to happen with it? Well, when you're looking, you know, there's a, there's a whole little subculture of Hollywood, you know, you're out there and there's the, the people you can tell that are right in the brink and there's a group of them. You see the same actors. We used to be auditions all the time. Now you're taping, self-taping and things like that a lot. Um, but it used to be, you'd see the same actors. You'd go walk in the room, you're like, oh, geez, you, you, and you. And, you know, you, it, every once in a while, one of them would grab something and do a, you know, suddenly they're like the next big thing. And you're like, dang, it's this far away. Um, and I had done different shows and different things and guest starred on uh, Beverly Hills 90210. And Mr. Spelling, Aaron Spelling had a group of people he sort of kept in his, in his stable, if you will, of actors that he would use. And I was in that little group. And, uh, but I, I, there was a time it just came around pilot season, which used to be a thing, not so much anymore. <laughs> right. And, uh, and you'd have a time to come in and you'd be going out for all the new shows and everybody would be going nuts. And uh, then you'd have to, I ended up getting this one season. I ended up, cause I sort of was figuring out what was going on and how things worked. And uh, I got three offers on this to test. Uh, and you have to put them in order. Uh, this is in first position. I'll test this one for second position and this one for third. Sometimes they won't let you do that. They'll be like, no, well, then we're going to take away the test. They make your deal before you, you test for network. It's a very strange deal. So you already made a deal for playing this character. So now you know how much money's on the line if you screw this up and you're in there because you've made your four-year deal or six-year deal and you haven't even got the job yet. It's pretty unfair, actually. <laughs> that's a bizarre feeling it's got to be because and, and does that obviously w would that play into the performance and you know nerves or whatnot too of course sure plus Hard also being that out of your that mind one. you got to put it out of your mind because when you start acting you're just reacting if you're doing it right you're listening to what the other actor's saying and doing your job but it's also in a weird setting you know there's a whole big room full of people and you're having an intimate scene with one person and it's you know you can't be too quiet or whatever it's just a there's a process some people are great at auditioning and some people are terrible at auditioning. Some people who are great at auditioning suddenly show up on set and can't do a damn thing, can't hit their mark, can't say it right. Something else happens. Some people rise to that occasion. It's just different. So um, for me, it was just because the character was well-written and I liked it more than the other projects I was looking at. So I put them in second and third and I tested for those two. Um, but this one, 
the process, you know, I came and I was the first person they saw um, the producer session because they had met a lot of actors beforehand. They said, this kid might be interesting. So I sat down with Deborah Joy Levine and, and uh, Robert Butler, who was the director. Deborah Joy Levine created it. And I was those two and I and a casting person in a little tiny room, smaller than my office here. And uh, yeah, smaller than my office, probably maybe the same size, maybe, probably not. And, um, and I don't, my office isn't that big. I mean, it's good size, but, uh, and I just, I, <laughs> yeah, I, huge I, office. Said, it's huge. <laughs> I read the script and I said, uh, I read it last night. I, I liked it a lot. I think maybe I have a different take on the guy. And he says, great, let's see it. I did the audition. Thank you. Goodbye. Didn't hear anything for two weeks. And that's not normally what you hear. You hear right away. Hey, they really liked you or they didn't like you. Or, and then, uh, then I hear a couple of weeks later, Hey, they really, you're, they're high on you for this thing. And, I had to go through the process further and further and further and pair up with different people. And uh, finally they, uh, they offered me the job. And I, here's the thing. I, here's the, here's the scene that got it for me in my mind. Tell me. That's where I got the character um, was they wrote one one night. They're like, we'll just come back tomorrow. And there's the new scene. And the scene was Lois comes over to Clark's place. She's inebriated. She's drunk. She's buzzed. She's a little unhappy because her French boyfriend photographer guy, like, she was cheating on whatever, blah, blah, blah. And she throws herself at Clark and Clark being the tremendously moral man who really wants to, won't take advantage of her, so to speak in this inebriated state, but he really what a good wants alien. To. What a very good alien, but he really wants to. And then that was like, that was sort of the character. And I was like, I got it. I, I, it, to me, that was like really clear. And then that was sort of, I think the scene that sort of kicked everything over the edge and, for me and understanding the character and obviously Bob Butler did great work with us before we started doing the show. And really, cause I was very green at the time. I hadn't done much. Terry was much more accomplished. She drove the show. She was a phenomenal actress and she, uh, she, uh, her Lois Lane to me is still the greatest Lois Lane of all time. You know, I couldn't agree more. I think everyone has a subjective nature, right? It's like, who's your Superman, right? Are you a Christopher Reeve guy? Are you a Dean Cain guy? Who, you know, who, it, it, but I think it all depends on when you grew up with Superman. And for me, Christopher Reeve was just a little bit older. It was like, that was my dad's Superman. And <laughs> I was a little, little kid. But when you guys came on, it was like, yeah, this is it. And I think I told you last time we met up uh, over at our friend Craig Doeswalt's house um, that I wrote about you or, you know, and the whole Superman thing in my book without even knowing it before I'd even met you. <laughs> I thought it was kind of, it was kind of a, a cool thing to be able to do this. Um, yes. Last couple of questions. I'll, I'll let you get out of here. I know you have, you have uh, some back-to-back stuff today. It's because um, we messed up our timing. I'm not well, going to say whose fault it was. No, don't, don't uh, just point right back at me. <laughs> <laughs> You've become pretty well known for Christmas movies. Yes. Did they find you? Did you find them? Is that, do you love Christmas or is this a, you know what? They came calling and before you knew it, you fell into this. He's a great romantic comedy, Christmas movie, feel good guy. <laughs> I love Christmas time because families are on top of each other and it's uncomfortable sometimes and it's great sometimes. And it's got all the emotion and all the things to it. It's my favorite time of the year. It's my favorite holiday of the year. Even when I was on Lois and Clark, I wrote a Christmas episode. So of the two episodes I wrote on Lois and Clark, one was a Christmas episode because it's just a time full of so much emotion and closeness and family. And I love those things. So uh, I love Christmas. And so my son was born when I was 33 years old. And that changes the projects you're going to choose. And it also changed my career tremendously because I ended up in a custody fight with his mother and part of my custodial fight, I just wanted joint custody. She didn't think it should be that way. And working as an actor completely works against you uh, in, in, a, in California law because you're not, you're not a stable 
I could imagine. Person, you know, you're off to here to do this job, off here to do that job. And it really worked against me. So I had to, for the last 20 years, and this changed this year, um, I had to not take the lead in any television show. Uh, I couldn't take the lead because you're gone. I couldn't, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't take any show that filmed outside of Los Angeles. And I wouldn't do any movie that took longer than three weeks to shoot. Uh, with that, with a couple rare occasions here and there, and I have to negotiate those things in. Now, I had full custody of my son since he was nine, but wow. but I wouldn't want to pull him out of classes and do things like that. So I, for the last twenty years, that's how I've held my career. Fortunately, I've been able to continue my career, and a lot of that was to do movies that he could be on set with me. So a lot of those were Christmas movies and family movies and things like that. So I loved doing those, and I got to have my son with me, and that's the kind of content I wanted him to watch. Nick, so I, I so appreciate you saying that too, because you know, you, if you look at someone's like you know filmography and you go, "Well, this is what you've done," or "This is where you go," you make this whole picture of who this person is, maybe. And I just really appreciate that when I look at that now and I see, because you're, I mean, you're still doing five, six, seven films a year, depending. So they're coming out like crazy. You had the one uh, Gosnell. I know that was a, a big hit that came out uh, in major theaters. Um, very, very good film. You guys should go definitely go out of your way to go check out Gosnell, the trial of America's biggest serial killer. Um, Dean, you do a phenomenal job at that. What a good actor. What a good <laughs> reactor. Um, but thank you for setting that straight. Um, final question is if you could go back and change anything from the beginning of your career to the end, or even anywhere in life, would you change anything specifically or would you leave it all the same? Well, I mean, hindsight is rather relatively, you know, 2020. I look at the I look at some of the projects I had to pass on. One of them would have made me probably the highest paid television actor in the world or one of the top. That was a tough one to turn down. I would love to try to negotiate a way with my son's mother to make that work, but I couldn't at the time, maybe now with, with some, some 2020 site, I could make that happen. I would have liked to have done that. I look at projects like, um, um, uh, oh, what's the war one uh, band of brothers that I couldn't yes. do. Um, which I was really, I'm a history major. I love, you know, studying war and diplomacy. And I did that, took my comprehensive exams in that. I really am fascinated by that time. And I would have loved to have been able to be a part of that. Um, but I wouldn't do anything differently because I wouldn't change anything for the relationship I have with my son um, or with my family. And, and, and of course, you know, it's, it's cliche to say it, but everything I've done has brought me here. And I'm pretty darn happy guy right here. Yeah, you are. Well, good, good to see you uh, another time. I'm sure I'll see you down the road. Dean Kane. Yes. Make sure you follow Dean Kane on Twitter at Real Dean Kane. Thank you, Dean. Matt, thank you. Hey, thanks again to Dean Kane for, for making the time uh, out of a, a pretty busy film schedule right now. He was, I know, going back-to-back interviews that day. I failed to mention in the, in the opening, he's also guest-hosted the Today Show several times and is a, a feature film that was in the movie theaters just recently, Gosnell. was a very, very interesting film, and he did, a, a, again, a ton of media work for that. So thanks again to Dean for making the time, man. I appreciate you, brother. That was awesome. Hey, Hope you got something out of that. You know, there's a lot to learn. For me, one of my favorite parts really was talking about that family and and choices. You know, as a father myself of a nine-year-old boy at this point, you know, I really think about my career choices. And it's like, should I go for the big win? Should I go for lots of small wins? Should I set up a schedule uh, that takes me away, that keeps me home? What do I need to do? And I really appreciate kind of, you know, that candor of that. So, um, 
again, hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you will take some of those lessons uh, from his stories and implement that into your life. Get out there this weekend, stay driven, do what you do. um, And certainly keep us in mind. I'll be back here next week with another episode of The Driven Entrepreneur. And we will get into another entrepreneur's backstory and life and business lessons along the way. See you next week. Bye-bye.